Welcome to Own It. We bring together non-scientific thinking and practice on product ownership. In this episode, we did our retros, then sidetrack and talk about voice interfaces, tips to get back to work after a long vacation, and briefly touch upon product management tools. So Carmen, wanna talk about what's on the news? Yeah, your turn. <laughs> I thought you were talking about it. No,、oh. uh, this week doesn't really have any interesting news to me.、Oh. Are there any interesting news that you found that may be relevant? Not really relevant, but the only news I read is that Skype has live captioning. Have caption and subtitle. Who has hearing disabilities? So as you are speak, as you're speaking on the conference call, it will live live transcribe. Can't speak today. Live transcribe what the person is saying. I think so. I never. I I haven't tried it. But it says um, Jenny Leif Flurry. The Skype chief accessibility officer at、uh, Skype says that the new live captioning and subtitle capabilities will arrive, and that the video calling and chat application has live captioning and subtitles to make using the software easier on those who are deaf and hearing disabilities. Or who may speak varying languages from others in their video chat. So they're live translate too. Does it have live translate? That's pretty cool. Like global conferences, I, I'm I'm like speaking Chinese to you, and then you'll be hearing English. That's pretty neat. I, I feel like there's another usage for it. Let's say if you are looking after your kid and you're working from home, and you need to go on a conference call, but your kid is deep asleep, you don't want it to disturb. But you still have to take on the call, right?、Uh-huh. So then you put your you put your call on mute. Oh no! You just you literally just turn down the volume. You mute the the actual call, and you can still listen. You can still read the live transcription of what people are talking about. Yeah. So it's like watching a, a Japanese drama <laughs> in the middle of the night without your parents knowing that you're actually watching it. <laughs> What kind of drama are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> so it's real-time trans- transcriptions of the person they're communicating with. The spoken words will appear on screen either in the same language or in the user's language of preference. So that's the interesting part.、Mm. I think going forward, you should be the one who's talking about news. Why? So I think for the last couple of weeks, all the news that I spoke about has nothing to do with product. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll do product. News catering to cool products. How about that? I guess. Yeah. But this just not many cool. Oh, CES is on is on right now. Oh. And I feel like this year. Mhm. Oh, I want to talk about two things that I、uh, that I read on the news. So first first part of I feel like the th- first theme is TVs. So they're making TV bigger and bigger. Oh, I saw that one. That like, is it Samsung one? That's like big as our wall. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Samsung has something as small and modular where it can transform and make it bigger. Oh. 
Uh-huh. And then there's also this giant wall TV. Yeah. Right? But I think TV has always been getting bigger and bigger regardless, right? But like, you know, for the last couple of years, the industry has always been chasing pixels. Uh-huh. So more resolution, bigger resolution. Okay. Like, so you start from like 1080p, yeah, yeah. 2K, 4K. Now they're going to 8K. They try to mainstream 8K. But like, there's not a lot of content for yeah, 8K yeah. there. Uh, so that, that was one thing. And then, uh, I think, so, so part of the, the TV news, I think one thing that, that really stood out was Apple has decided to put AirPlay 2 on uh, this year and next year. Was it, was it this year or last year? I think the most recent Samsung model mm-hmm. will support AirPlay. Mm-hmm. That's not, not something that they've ever done before because typically AirPlay technology will s- stick with Apple TV box. Mm-hmm. It's never transferable. So now they made it possible for other manufacturers to, to use that standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, iTunes library or the iTunes app is going to be downloadable or, or maybe part of the firmware update for all Samsung TV going forward as well. So that means you can watch iTunes library mm-hmm. that you have on iOS on your Samsung TV. Mm-hmm. And you can also stream from your phone or from the tablet to the TV. Mm-hmm. That's a huge step forward. For Apple. For Apple. I mean, like, every, everyone else. I've Apple and Apple. Samsung has always been in competition of each other. And I think they got in so many lawsuits that people didn't... I don't think people have seen this coming. Because this is just something that you wouldn't think that Apple would do. Well, maybe the Apple TV sale is not that great, right? I don't think it's that good. Yeah, like, so Apple like they, they need to boost their 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 sales. Right. But f- for people who doesn't know the Apple TV ecosystem, it's a pretty s- powerful platform. The the apps itself are an extension to uh, iOS, and the the controls, um, the things that you could do on the the TV box is has been almost close to a video game console. So, without spending money on a video game console, you can actually have an iOS to your TV. Like like how Richard plays all the apps, well, TV-enabled apps on the Apple using that remote, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that, from that aspect, it it beats the, uh, the, the smart TVs. Smart TVs were, nev- were never able to play a game and enjoy a game on it. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to unlock your laptop. just don't want the podcast to die. Okay. Um, what's the other... Oh, the other theme. The other theme for, from CES this year, which I think is getting more ridiculous by the year, you know, Getting bigger TV is one thing, but you know they try to put they try to put internet connection to like everything, the mm-hmm. IoT of things or Internet mm-hmm, of Things, mm-hmm. uh, or they put try, they try to put voice assistance. What's the on. most ridiculous one you've seen? Uh, what was it? Is it a a rice cooker or a pressure cooker? Yeah, like you, you can control. Like I think prior to this, they they already have Bluetooth enabled pressure cookers or slow cookers mm-hmm. now we they're putting one. they're putting like alexa on slow cooker or pressure cooker mm-hmm. like, so you can talk to your rice cooker i guess and and i feel like make rice it, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's like hey 
make rice. And so it's getting ridiculous to the point that I don't think you need a voice assistant in, in everything though. Like flush my toilet. Or maybe it's for like alternative views, just like the Skype example. So so the I think the thought provoking idea here is maybe it's an avenue to provoke new ideas. Mm. Right? Maybe they're just providing a platform for people to start thinking about what to do with all these voice assistant or voice activated devices. Because mm-hmm. at least out of top of my head, I don't think I can think of anything that I could use it for. Well, you can teach uh, Clark to say, <laughs> okay, make rice. <laughs> he already saying, okay, Google. I guess. I think one thing that... I think if you if you look at it from an ecosystem perspective, you have your Google Home Mini that you can say, okay, Google. I don't want to say too loud because it will actually activate okay, Google right now. Oh, yeah, it just it's went already on. Activated. <laughs> but, you know, having more devices that are compatible in that ecosystem, you can actually arrange a series of commands or you can schedule schedule your commands to, mm-hmm. like to go Like the shortcuts and yeah. things like that. So it's almost like, okay, so I'm, I'm away from home, but then you still have to do the prep work, right, for your, for your slow cooker. It's not like, you know, slow cooker, you need to start cooking at you know, 2 p.m. I think we're just at the starting point of this. Like, we are just discovering the, the use of voice and all these user, user command-based interface. I think by the time when the kids grow up, when they're like 20 years old or something, it will be dramatically different. Well, can you re- remember the last technology shift where, you know, the entire industry is trying to cram something into something. Like a cell phone. Like you an make iPhone. Every like a touch-based phone. So that everyone's it's like making a, computer. a phone. Yeah, and then everyone's making a phone. And then it becomes your personal computer. And then it becomes something that you rely on so much. So are you saying that... If, if, so if we take history as, as something that we've learned in the past, mm-hmm. then are you saying that all these voice assistant thing is going to be everywhere and eventually it's going to be something we can't live without. I don't I wouldn't say you can't live without. I still know people who doesn't own a cell phone or smartphone. It's just like it will be mainstream, that's all. But that's the same thing as saying everybody uses computer today. Not but, everyone. But what we know that there are people that doesn't use yeah, it, yeah. right? But at one point in time but it will be easier and easier for people to use it. I would, I would say, say starting in the early 90s, there is a trend that everyone must have a personal computer, mm-hmm. right? To the point that everyone must today must have a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Then I guess in maybe in a few more years, everyone must have a voice assistant mm-hmm. that they are close with. Right? Or, they, or they know how to talk to some kind of AI. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so if we can generalize that the user experience of all this is, mm-hmm. we use computer f- for the purpose of simplifying or, or tidying up our workspace, right? So everything is within the virtual space. That's w- I, that's how I take it mm-hmm. as as a 
just an end user. Mm-hmm. Now, smartphone. Smartphone, prior to smartphone, it's just cell phones. Mm-hmm. Right? Cell phone was a mean that you don't have to go to a fixed spot to pick up your phone and dial the number to make a call. You can literally make a call anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. So, point is, point is, I feel like people are getting lazier. Not lazier. It's <laughs> it's more. I think people are just trying to multitask even more. Yeah. So, and in, in, in the emerging of all this technology, there's tablets. Uh, computer becomes smaller and, and thinner and lighter. Um, and then there's smartphone. And so, from transitioning from cell phone to smartphone, where you are trying to cram everything that you could possibly do on a computer back in the day, where you have word processing spreadsheet. Now you can do all that internet surfing on your smartphone too, right? Mm-hmm. I think the technology is trying to cram everything into your pocket, in, onto your wrist, mm-hmm. right? And then you don't have to walk as far to do, your, to do your work. You can literally do it on your phone. And now you have voice assistant in everything. Literally at a, at a, a simple command, things will happen around you, mm-hmm. right? So I feel like the, the movie Wally, where everybody got fat sitting on a floating chair, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the, that, that's the future that we're going to. I think, I think people can see that. That's why everyone's like doing CrossFit and everything, <laughs> and training trying and to, eat well to stay and, healthy, and stay right? healthy. And they have more time, right? Like, supposedly, with all these technology, you can have more spare time to do other things. Like go outside and run, jog, cook yeah. a meal, and be healthy. Except we don't do any of that, mm-hmm. right? Why? Because you now you have more time to do more work, mm. or you have more time to do something that are. We sleep more, I think. We sleep, but we we go to bed early, but we don't sleep early. Anyway, get back on track. Okay, what are we drinking today? Um, what are we drinking? No alcoholic today. We're drinking bubble tea from bubble tea from Cha Plus. Do, do we do we plug them? What do, do we do we advertise for them? No one is really listening to the podcast, so you can do whatever you want. Okay, so Cha Plus is <laughs> a bubble tea store that. Carmen's sister and her boyfriend had opened. Uh, it's a franchise in Toronto, started in Toronto, uh, but I think they're they're opening up to more cities and into the U.S. as well. At least at the time of this podcast, um, tastes pretty good. Um, it's a different different spin on bubble tea. Mm-hmm. Where I like the tea. Right? Like the tea tastes, it's better than the other bubble tea place. Mm-hmm. And what kind of drink are you drinking? Grass jelly uh, in milk tea. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of the grass jelly, but the milk tea tastes pretty good. Okay. I have the same one. I like I like this combo. Mm. Mm. Okay, so what's the retrospective for, for this week for you? You go first. I'll go first. Um, Just to make it into like an hour podcast. <laughs> try not to. But I feel like it's going to. Um, for so let me ask you. After coming back from a long vacation, what's what's one thing that you what's one takeaway for other people who is coming back on a long vacation and had to like 
get back on track quickly? When, what's one advice you could give them? Okay, so I want to make the comment that so I have three weeks off. It actually felt good to have three weeks off, mm-hmm. even though even though I was still somewhat connected to work. Mm-hmm. I still check my emails. I still check check Slack. So I felt like I was never really far away. But the la- but last year around the same time, I took two weeks off, and I pretty much completely disconnected from work. Uh, so the, the learning from last year was when I got back, there was lots and lots of email and lots and lots of work waiting for me. Mm. And this year, because I was sort of anticipating it's going to be a long vacation, mm. I still skimmed through emails. I still skimmed through Slack, making sure that I, I caught all the important stuff. Uh, so this time going back, it wasn't as overwhelming. Mm. There's a lot less email waiting for me. Mm. Um, Oh, the, uh, yeah, there, there's also some corporate changes as well. Um, but even though it's three weeks, it didn't feel like I've been away for that long. Mm. Okay. Um, but the, I think one of the big learning this time around was for me to kind of call back up. Um, <clears throat> my approach was always to go to the different teams that I work with, mm-hmm. go talk to them instead of, you know, stay in your in, in your own seat for eight hours straight just read through emails and slack messages mm. i felt like that wasn't efficient at all because mm. you'll be reading something that happened in the past if mm. you're working in a fast-paced company all that time that you're reading you're still stuck in the past you're stuck at a time where things are no longer relevant mm-hmm. right so my my approach this time around was i just go straight and talk to people on what's going on hey give me the the latest update on what's happening in the project yeah, are just there, send me one email that you need help on. That's all. <laughs> no, not necessarily. But there, there are stuff that were still kind of piled up in the queue, waiting for me to to respond, right? Mm. But you know, like if it's very, very important, the person that sees you walking through the office, they, he'll he'll be coming after you already, mm-hmm. right? So you kind of have to play by the ear, gather information as you talk to different people on the floor, mm. uh, and then you can, and then you kind of ask them are there anything in my inbox that I need to attend to right away mm-hmm. so instead of yeah it's, it's, it's a completely different approach talk to people get to the point and go back to what you have to do mm. first uh, and then you can kind of prioritize along the way too mm. good advice yeah mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like going back to work <laughs> it was it was the kind of year how it started at, at work was totally unexpected. Uh, so structure change, org change, um, and then there is, I think, um, reporting structure has also changed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're sort of s- still kind of sitting in that limbo state where the direction wasn't really all that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of have to keep going at it. It's picking up the dryer sound. <laughs> So if if anyone hears the dryer (laughs) spinning in the background, that's because our dryer is running. (laughs) Okay. Um, Besides that, at work this week, um, it's really mostly catching up. We we signed a new uh, new client. We signed up to a new client. Um, Actually, so. I think the better word of describing it is that we have they have awarded us the RFP, uh, meaning that we actually get to 
work on it with them. Uh, it's not a public announcement yet, so I can't really say which client that we're working with. Um, but it's going to be a massive project. Mm-hmm. Um, deadline is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of work that we have to do is quite substantial. And I, because this is a new year, I don't want to sound too negative, but I think we could do it. Mm-hmm. If if all the strings were pulled properly and you own. know own it properly, you know, make sure that we have a proper plan going into it. I think we'll be okay. Mm. Uh, it, it requires massive integration between us and one of these major partners that we've never worked with in the past, mm-hmm. and another partner in a, in a different industry, but they're trying to kind of get into the loyalty space mm. as well for a client that is probably one or the second largest uh, bank in Canada. Mm-hmm. So that, that's going to be challenging. I think, and I, I kind of want to explore a little bit on that with you too. Like, banks. if you, <laughs> no, no, not necessarily banks. I'm saying just in general, if you want to, you know, be successful on a delivery of a project, what do you look for when you, Prior to you know looking at the requirements uh, and doing all the workshop with with your clients, what, well, how do you know if you're putting the right foot forward? I don't know if I'm the right person to ask, <laughs> 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 but from what I heard on my end, like all the product managers, they're pretty. They have their do their due diligence on like checking industry standards compliance anything that there's no surprises make sure that not just the requirement but like how does industry work it might be it might be different how the industry works might be different than what you have in mind like is there provincial stuff or federal regulations and things like that Mm -hmm. that your system it's not made for it like you don't want to scramble at the end to because usually those things i don't know who you can talk to to find find for the industry that we're in the the compliance standards and um commonly accepted laws and and regulations Mm -hmm. are pretty clear already and There's no new stuff coming on and off? Uh, no, nothing new, at least in the near horizon. Okay. Um, and then I think we're pretty well versed in terms of what works and what doesn't work and what should be working prior for us to engage a, co- a client. So I don't think that that's something that we need to worry about. Any, anything else they can think of? Competitor analysis? I mean, we are working with one of the best banking cat already, so maybe, maybe not. Mm. But okay, so that actually that's a that's a good point because competitive advantage for the so yeah for the solution that we're providing to the clients, it's it's fairly important because the client expect nothing but the best, right? Mm-hmm. And they want to make sure that whatever that they're getting that they're they're getting is it stands out from the rest, mm-hmm. and as well you're not trying to make a cookie cutter out of whatever client that you have worked in the past and then kind of put that forward for them because mm-hmm. they're going to be like, oh, are you just are you just giving us whatever you had done in the past? That's not good enough. 
right? They, mm-hmm. they want you to up yourself in terms of what you had delivered from before. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a good segue to kind of talk about when you work with clients, um, you know, for a particular project delivery, you, you as a product owner or product manager, you, you know what the industry is, is all about. So that's one thing. But when the client is trying to dream up blue sky and, you know, this is, we need you guys to deliver the best features that's out there. Or we want you to deliver features that no one has ever had before. Now you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because all the years of work that you had done in the in the past to get to this point is, at this point, I have everything I, that I, I can put forth to sell. And the, the customer will look at it and, and say, okay, is this the best you can do? <laughs> mm-hmm. So then, then at that point, you, you'll be like, well, kind of, yes. This is, this is everything we have built so far. This is everything we have innovated so far. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the client is still not satisfied with that. Even though whatever you have offered, even though you have been awarded the RFP, I feel like it's still not good enough for them. Isn't that like you should answer it? In a way that that you can lead them on, say, this this is what we have right now, but we are planning to have, but we're planning to have da 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 in the coming releases. You know, just just like last episode, you you hook them on. Yeah. So, but but to hook them on is you know what they want, right? You you know exactly what and they want. And you have want. product roadmaps. Product, again, How so, far off is your product pro, pro, roadmap? A product roadmap is what we are putting putting forth to the industry, to the public, that this is what we are getting to, right? Mm-hmm. But to, to satisfy a client, everyone... So let's, let's not talk about... Maybe I'll, let's use a different example. Let's, let's say that we're not talking about product, right? If, we, if I put myself in, in the shoes of a, of a client and I, I want to... I want to make sure that the vendor that I'm working with is delivering something and makes me like future proof. Not necessarily future proof. Make me look good, mm-hmm. right? So selfishly, as a as a client, I, I want stuff that no one has ever done. But even though I can't really articulate on what that is, right? So me being the job of you know managing our vendors to provide something. I must have success metrics that I, I put forth and say, okay, this, these are the kind of things that I want to I wanted to achieve with this project so that I can tell my boss that I did a good job mm-hmm. or I can tell my company, you know, this is, this is where we are. Mm-hmm. You know, in the next couple of months, this is what we're going to get, mm-hmm. right? So I, f- I feel like, so now let's reverse it back to the original, original role. So being a product owner, I know what my product is capable of and I know what my roadmap is going to be about in the next little while. But now all of a sudden, there's this client that I have to I have to work with. Felt like everything that I have on my roadmap and everything that we have built is still not good enough. But why is that Why is that the case? Is it because I'm not talking to the client and I'm not getting into their head enough to really understand what's driving them, what's ticking, right? What, what makes them like about a product? What makes them don't like a product? Right. But is it just an impression that you're getting from them? Like, is there that they say it out loud that oh, you guys are not good enough, I or this is just in your head? No, no, uh, it's definitely not in my head. Because in through the conversation that I have with 
this new client, and it's not just my only impression too. It's just people that we that were involved in the client day to day communication. They don't sound impressed. Is that it? No, not necessarily. I think it's more about they don't know what is really good, what was what's really realistic for from a project, right? Because if you if you're the client, you have say ten months to deliver something. And within that ten months, you want to get everything out of this project as much as you can, except you don't know where that ceiling is, right? Because you'll be you, you you can either drive the team to the ground and you know build a mediocre thing, or you can say within this ten month, if I know the goal that I'm trying to hit, if I know the expectation upfront that I'll be proud of as as a as a client.、Um, I think that will help the delivery team understand. So they're not telling、do. you what their success metric. I think so, and I think that's something that we have to do.、Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't it like something that the sales team can find out? Like after implementing this solution, are they expecting sales to increase like twenty percent? Cust- yeah, expand so, their customer base to so, like five、so、hundred. So those are the answers that we would like to get, right? Yeah, but you don't spend. I feel like we can always ask those questions, but under what condition? Is it's the most appropriate, right? Do you do that through workshops,、mm. or do you do that upfront before the project even kickstarted? Right. I think before the project kickstart, you have to know what their expectations, right? Like if you de- develop something, you think it meets their needs, but it it doesn't reach that particular goal. Yeah. Then, yeah,、exactly. then, then you're not there, right? The so you have to find out. Goals are not something that、no? they define in during the RFP period, right?、Mm-hmm. So typically, RFP period will be them asking us a lot of questions, a whole a shit ton of questions, like questions like, yeah, yeah. "Are you guys complying? What kind of technology you use?" But it's never really. I feel like it's only after the deal is done, they pick you as a vendor. Then you guys can go can more in depth. Yeah,、it. yeah. Right. So, but I feel like stuff like this sh- should also be captured as part of the RFP, right? Well, what are you trying to get to? What is your success metrics? Maybe we're not asking those questions upfront. Therefore, but isn't it like I don't know if it's common or not? But does the RF RFP include your research into their company as well? Like you have to know what their benchmark is, and then you try to. Add value to it, so they pick so. you back. I think so. I think so. Because RFP is supposed to be both ways, kind of like an interview, right? Yeah. Like if when when they are picking you, you're also picking them too.、Mm-hmm. So perhaps it's the company not actually doing that.、Mm-hmm. I feel.、Um, I feel like that's an area that they need to improve on. Like instead of us trying to, you know, make peace with the client and trying to say yes, not necessarily yes all the time to the client that. Yeah, we could do this. We could do this,、mm-hmm. but it's more about okay. If we are to do this for you, right? If if we are lucky enough to be your vendor,、mm-hmm. what is what is your success metrics?、Mm-hmm. I think I keep using the term success metrics.、Mm-hmm. Um, it, it we need we need a benchmark. We need some guidance、mm-hmm. along the way because the reason that we're feeling unease, even though after we've been awarded, like typically when you get interviewed. 
and if the interview process is a reciprocating mm-hmm. interview where you're actually also learning about the company, mm-hmm. you're actually picking the company that you want to work for. Mm-hmm. By the time that you get a word that job, you shouldn't feel nervous. Mm-hmm. You should you should feel excited. Mm-hmm. But in this case here, I feel nervous because mm-hmm. I don't know what the client wants. The requirements are kind of clear. Mm-hmm. These are the features we like, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really speak to, you know, what numbers am I supposed to hit? But before you guys, like internally, do you guys all feel that way? Shouldn't there be a process to, before signing that or partnering up with that company, you guys should ask them questions as well? Because yeah. it's the final stage, right? It is. It is. So well, you we guys actually passed the final stage already, where like we are actually awarded the, the project. So we, we, we are starting the project. So you guys feel like, oh shit. What yeah, have we got like, ourselves into? Yeah, like kind of thing. I feel like we missed we missed the opportunity to ask the right questions, mm-hmm. right? Because um, we're always busy in responding to their questions. So it, you guys felt like you guys might have been ripped off no, by certain things. Not ripped off, but it's more of it. We set up our self up for failure without knowing it, uh-huh. right? So let's say. Let's say that yeah, yeah, I, I get it. If the no, I'm I'm kind of trying to paint a picture of what happens after if we don't know this, right? We can deliver all the features we want, but we're not hitting the numbers. At the end, Doesn't it's a matter. failure. It is a failure. But right? if they don't show you the numbers, how do you know it's a failure? But maybe they're expecting us to ask those questions, right? I don't think so. If you deliver whatever it says on the contract, then you guys are safe. Hmm. But I think that's where. That's the gray line. <laughs> no, it's not even a gray line because even in, in basic project management, that is it is a pitfall that a lot of project manager falls into. Your project could be on time, mm-hmm. right? On within, time on budget. Within budget, with the resources that you have, and you deliver everything that the client has asked for mm-hmm. on paper. But if, if, if the end user that's using it mm-hmm. is not happy with it, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it's still a failure project, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's the same analogy. For, for product building, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Like you, you hit all the requirements, but you, you still need to understand the underlying uh, what makes them happy, what mm-hmm. makes the client happy. Mm. Right? You can, you can design the best user experience for the products. But if the user doesn't want it, doesn't want to use it, or if the business is not making money, it's still a failure, right? Mm-hmm. So that was my week. Mm-hmm. How was your week? My week was a bit slow, just because um, there are other projects going on, and mine's not in high priority right now. So I can take my sweet time doing my frameworks and things like that. Um, I think I. I reached a pretty good uh, state at the framework that I am developing. So last week we talked about, before before I went on vacation. Um, be productive. Yeah, be productive. Make a, make a better guideline for implementing accessibility into the whole design process. Not just design. I think like I don't know how to describe it. it it's not just like making stuff pretty and 
making it accessible. But, but like, I don't know. Helping the whole project team to understand why we're doing this. Why are we making uh, the system or keyboard keyboard uh, accessible? Like you can navigate through keyboard. I can't think right now. Navigate with a keyboard. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So the team is like the, the is team asking? knows. The team knows. And I think the whole company knows that accessibility is a good thing, but it's not something that is not a, a habit or something that it's not they, ingrained they, into yeah, their in their workflow or thinking. So I think. So did you create a framework for them to use? I, in I'm creating one right now for the design team at least. Um, part of it is to make it less, not as heavy. So right now, a lot of accessibility audits are are hard to do because it requires a user to know how to use a screen reader and test it and and document those findings and then provide uh, technical solutions to remediate the problem and I think those are too much for uh, or an organization like this because there's so much going on no one's gonna have the time to sit down and audit and document it and like you need a dedicated project and budget to do that I think um, I don't know if they're planning on doing it or they are. Is it a priority from the executive's right perspective? Yeah, it's a priority this year. Uh, it's on the roadmap somewhere, but I don't know how big the project is or how many people are involved or what's the plan to do it. Um, I'm just trying to do my best to prepare my team, I guess. Yeah, so that's my week. So. I have something similar at work, not necessarily for accessibility, but in initiatives, mm-hmm. right? Um, the initiative that we we were trying to were trying to apply to our work environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, is in around security, right? Mm-hmm. You walk away from your computer, you must lock your computer, mm-hmm. right? And so, it it wasn't a corporate mandatory thing that you have to follow mm-hmm. until people start going to people's computer that's not locked and they start sending messages mm-hmm. through their slack channel and to the to the general channel and everyone's like oh mm-hmm. you know i am not pca compliant mm-hmm. uh, and then so it it, it at, a, at an executive level they're not enforcing it but people at the lower level mm-hmm. uh, is finding ways to make it fun mm-hmm. funny mm-hmm. And get people to start thinking about, you know, don't forget to lock my computer. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I walk away without locking it, people is going to have some fun. And I, I might get into some trouble, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I, I think the, the initiative can be bottom up or top down, right? I think having, coming from top down... It's more of a let's just shove it down your throat and make sure that you are doing it. Mm-hmm. There isn't 
it's not that interesting. Mm-hmm. But the opposite direction could could spark some ideas, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, to get people to think that oh, everything that we use. I don't know. Try, try. I'm just throwing an idea. Throw away everyone's mouse mm-hmm. for two days and see if they can still function properly. Mm-hmm. Like within your own team, put the mouse away, mm-hmm. and you can use trackpad either. Mm-hmm. Um, keyboard only and see how people can can fare right and i think at that point people will be more uh more sensitive towards if if a page was designed properly then they don't they never have to use a mouse or a trackpad Mm -hmm. right you can test tap 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 Mm -hmm. or you know shortcut keys Mm -hmm. it's not easy though like (coughs) it's not as easy as you think it is like using the keyboard because there's so many special keys and special like drop down and widgets and auto suggest and all those can block your keyboard or like you need a special key like three fingers hitting three different keys in order to get into a list so i don't think i don't think it's realistic to expect people to know how to use a keyboard to navigate but you need to give them the appreciation that you need to be at that level right because yeah. if, you, if you want, you, I think HR HR I think industry it, it, has always been like that, right? You want to make sure that you're hiring diversity, yeah. and if if hiring diversity is a goal for your company, that means you're expecting people who can do certain things with the computer. Yeah, I think people appreciate that, like they know they have to design with accessibility in mind, but it's never the priority, or it's too much work like to to read up on it or add this in or change my way of coding or design just so if it's this one case where the user can do this and that would you think that you know if you build let's just say that you're building an application from scratch mm-hmm. and along the way you stay compliant to accessibility standards mm-hmm. Versus, you know, you build everything that you need to build first and then apply the accessibility standards. Mm-hmm. Which one's more effective? From the start. Right from the beginning, right? Yeah. And is the project that you're, you're working on, are you starting from scratch or is this something that is pretty st- stable already and you're adding accessibility on top of it? It's not adding on top. They have half-baked accessibility in there. And uh, we're just trying not, to improve it. Not, good, not enough. good enough. Yeah, we're trying to make it Okay, so at least it's not better. from scratch, right? You're yeah. just trying to get it to a better place. Yeah. I don't know. I think is part of it is I don't know the people that well. Like, in order to have a good, I don't know, make a good product, you need to have a team that can work together to, 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 to reach that goal. But right now, I I haven't exposed myself to all the QAs, the, all the I don't know architecture team or the developers. I haven't dived deep into that level of relationship. Relationship, builder? yeah. Hmm. But even if you do know them well, I, I think I don't think it's something that you need to invest too much energy in I think it's more about okay if accessibility is a project that we need to deliver Mm -hmm. you know 
who's assigned to this project, what is the common goal, how do you want to get there, and it, are people okay with the idea, mm-hmm. right? Here are the approaches. Can we deliver? Mm-hmm. Or can we not deliver? Yeah, I, don't I think know. I think in a lot. I, of I I think I'm just trying to start something, but I don't know if I can. <laughs> so I can help the system reach that goal. For you, for you, for your initiative to be more um, to survive mm-hmm. in an organization that you're in, mm-hmm. it must have a very strong footholding, right? Mm-hmm. So you must have backing from the executives, yeah, the yeah. VPs, right? It has to be a mandate. Then there has to be ongoing. It like has it's to not be just ongoing. One time. Yes, yeah. yes. But who is the compliance officer, right? Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a compliance compliance officer? Probably. Yeah. So I know maybe one, that's the person you need to talk to. I know one product manager who did a whole deck on like making sure things are compliant, blah 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 blah. But I haven't reached out to him or like we haven't connected yet. He's not in this office. Oh. Maybe it's time to make a trip down to uh I don't even whatever know where the head from. office is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I should reach out to him, but and I feel like what's the point of reaching out to him? <laughs> I feel like the person that's most, um, what what is the word? Like if if the person that you are most afraid to talk to is probably the person that will make you most successful in your organization, mm. right? If you can make that person your CEO. friend <laughs> instead of someone that not necessarily an enemy, but someone who doesn't know your initiative right like mm. in this case in, if the compliance officer knows that you're trying to make his life easier mm-hmm. i'm sure he's gonna be all for it mm-hmm. right you'll he, try to, maybe he has connections on you know oh um the compliance team may be able to say you know we can get extra resources for you uh we can get extra fundings for you um you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you get the opportunity to do prototyping and user groups, mm-hmm. testing and all that, right? So, hey, you never know. I think that that mm-hmm. might be a good avenue to, to start thinking about it as well. Forty mm-hmm. mm-hmm. something minutes so far. Yeah. Should so we maybe, stop here? Yeah, let's let's call it a a week. Mm-hmm. Um, our friends in New York, Wendy, <laughs> she. she so on the side, she asked us what. What are some uh, good product, product management tools? Yeah, so product management tools. So maybe we'll go over this quickly. Okay. Um, I am an Excel word <laughs> kind of guy. I don't use any product management tool. Spreadsheets to kind of keep track of all the roadmap items, mm-hmm. right? And then you have different tabs that kind of keep track of the features, description of the Roll feature. Up. Do you have pivot tables and charts in your excel no oh it's just columns and columns and columns oh uh. but the thing is like the idea is try to keep it simple right i'm not trying to spend too much time on the roadmap a a lot of a lot of company that has product managers and product owners Mm -hmm. they focus a lot of time on on roadmaps yeah i I understand that roadmap changes all the time feature changes all the time but I don't feel like that should be where the energy be, where the energy should be focused on, but to the point of what Wendy is trying to ask for is: Are there any tools out there that can help you manage these things better? 
Like product roadmap. Product roadmap is one thing. All your your libraries of resources, your user stories.、Mm-hmm. My、right. previous company, we use Asana. Like we've tried to use、is、that. Is that a project management it's tool? It's project management, but they use it to like I don't know, like organize a project. Okay, so that's a project management tool, not a product okay, management. Okay, not a product management tool. But you said you're using Aha. Aha.io. Yeah, that I I haven't seen the admin side how they do it, but it's more for gathering feedbacks and、uh, and then the team will categorize whether this is this will be implemented or on hold or not implemented things like that.、Mm. So is there a, a a layer of like time and who's working on it? I think on the admin side is pretty comprehensive, but. Again, I haven't seen it. I can ask how、yeah. they use it. So I think I think I need to start looking into this as well. Because instead of relying on spreadsheets and Word documents, it's not it's not really cool.、Uh, how about <laughs> Airtable? Since you're an Excel guy, Airtable. Yeah. What's an Airtable? Airtable is like a beefed up Excel. No, not that cool either. Okay, that's.、Uh, <laughs> you can try that. Okay, so if any listener out there. If there are listeners out there, <laughs> I feel like you're broadcasting you, some kind of UFO. No,、uh, <laughs> broadcasting SLS. Oh, that's one of the news I read. They found the signal, a repeated signal from outer space. It's about time. For the second time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So、What、the first time、say? they found it in like a few years ago or something. I don't know. I might be wrong, but this is the second time they 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 got such a signal that's repeating. Except they don't know what the signal is. They don't know、means. what it is, but yeah.、Uh, If anyone of yeah, so it's my S O S O S signal out, distress beacon signal, to any product owners or product managers out there. If you use any、uh, software that you think that's worthwhile、uh, to share, let us know. Drop us a message on、uh, Anchor,、uh, and then we'll we'll take a look at it to see if it's something that we can use going forward. Um, so that's pretty much it. Oh, sorry about last week. The volume was、uh, kind of crappy. So this week, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully is loud enough for you guys to listen in the car while you're while you're in your commute. Okay, thanks for listening. See you guys next week. Thanks everyone for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us some feedback so we can make the podcast more enjoyable for you. Tune in next week for more on it.